You're in the WOR Sports Zone. Mets Spring Training Report. All right, welcome back to the Mets today. A 4-4 tie against the Detroit Tigers. Yep, spring training for you. But uh, more importantly, Stephen Matz, four scoreless innings. And we bring on right now Anthony McCarron of SNY. And uh, how are we doing tonight, Anthony? Very good, very good. How about you? I'm great. Uh, it was a huge start for Stephen Matz. He's got to be doing better than even uh, both of us. Uh, you know, feeling after you know ten runs allowed, the first two starts, and really was looking to find some results. How impactful do you think it was that not only you know was it a solid start today, but a, a really really good one? Yeah, I think he really needed this, uh, Pete. Uh, you know, he obviously had struggled early in, in spring with the first two uh, starts, which were awful. And, you know, he's coming off injury-plagued season that was not very good last year when he was pitching. So I think he really needed something to come through for him. You know, you start wondering. I mean, it's only human nature. You know, you get pounded for five runs in each of your first two starts, and you start feeling about, you know, you start thinking, you know, the what-ifs can can creep in. And I think this this enables him to push that kind of stuff away, at least for now, and really concentrate on, on the fact that he's healthy which really is the big, to me, is always the big story about Stephen Matt, and, and certainly this spring it's the big story about him. It's how's his arm, how's, how is he physically, and will he be intact for the regular season? And it's always the big story for the Mets overall, of course, as well. And yesterday uh, is the three-week mark until opening day. So we're now under three weeks until the Mets started up against the Cardinals. O- overall, for this starting rotation, uh, l- let's leave it there, how well do you think this spring has gone? I mean, with the exception of the Grom's back, it's gone about as well as anyone could have hoped, no? Yeah, uh, yeah especially if you're talking just rotation-wise, especially because yeah. I, I think, you know, off the field, they added Jason Vargas. And honestly, I, I thought that they that was a move they needed to make because they just needed, you know, some security in the rotation to me. Just based on the on the history that you know the medical history of this of the starting staff, they needed another guy in there, and you know I don't mind the idea really of of Zach Wheeler and, and Stephen Matz having to pitch their way into the rotation. If you look at those two guys, you know as the ones competing for a last spot, if you if you sort of grandfather Vargas in because they did sign him, mm-hmm. um, you know I don't mind that. Uh, it's certainly gotten the best out of Wheeler so far, and and he certainly seemed you know, a little, I don't know if missed is the right word. Maybe it is uh, when they signed Vargas. And, and so maybe that got him going a little bit. Not that he, I feel like he needed a jump start, but he has pitched well. And, uh, you know, Matt's with getting back on track here. You know, I, I think it's a nice spot to be in. You know, we all look at Syndergaard and Marvel for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and thank goodness he seems to be healthy as well because that only means tremendous things for the Mets. No, yesterday was stupid from Syndergaard. Uh, he struck out the final seven batters he faced, including a nine-pitch third inning in which he struck out Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And, if, and when you see something like that, you're like, you're like just start the season already. You know, just, <laughs> He's ready. You know, paste that inning onto, onto a regular season start, please. You know, let's let's forget about the, the. It's nice in Florida. You know, everybody up north is uh, 
<laughs> is still cold and, you know, shaking off a nor'easter, another nor'easter. But, you know, they don't need to spend any more time down there. Let's get everybody up here and get going if Syndergaard's going to pitch like that. Yeah, my goodness. Uh, and he says he's not in midseason form, and it, it makes you wonder what more he is capable of. But, uh, yeah, he looks ready to go. He looked ready to go that first start against the Houston Astros. How about the pen, though? Um, you know, what concerns do you have there? Robles gets shelled again today. Familia had the dead arm. Maybe don't go nuts about him right now, but it hasn't been smooth sailing for a, a lot of those guys. No, it hasn't. Uh, you know, maybe this is a hot take, but I don't think Robles is going to be on the major league roster. Um, I, I'm, you know, I, I feel like the Mets ought to look at him as, you know, nothing guaranteed with him and that he needs to show a little bit of performance. Um, I don't believe he's one of those veteran guys who kind of gets the luxury of working things out in spring training. I think he has to perform, and he's not performing. And I think the idea of sending, I I don't know how it's going to shake out when it ultimately does, but the idea of sending Gesellman or Lugo to AAA to, quote, keep him stretched out and taking Robles instead just fills me with dread. I mean, I I think they ought to, you know, put, put put that guy that they would send down to keep stretched out, just put him in the bullpen. And, put, and send Robles down and let him earn his way back because he's not doing it right now. And um, too, many point, too much pointing at the sky. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's no good when, when he goes. Yeah. Um, as far as the rest of the bullpen, you know, there are some question marks there. Uh, you know, I mean, I think they did a nice job assembling it. I don't think it's this great. I have a feeling that there are some people out there who think that this is a tremendous lockdown bullpen uh, when healthy, and uh, it should be a strength of the Mets. Uh, to me, they got to prove that before they can they can get to that sort of lofty level. I mean, the Yankee bullpen is a thousand times better, sure. and you know the the Mets have a lot of work to do in in that regard, and they got to get healthy with some of these guys in the pen as well. Yeah, and the bullpens, they, they, I think throughout the sport have just strengthened. You can't you know just compare this Mets pen to a Mets pen ten years ago and say it's better. The, the game has changed so drastically with how much uh, these teams are depending on bullpen arms to carry them through. Right. And, and, you know, one thing that they do have going for them that I find interesting as well is, you know, they, they stockpiled all those relievers last year when they traded after the, uh, you know, when they did the dumping mm-hmm. um, uh, to get younger and, and, and get, some, get rid of some of the contracts. And they, the guys they got back were a lot of relief pitchers, and you need inventory to put, put together a bullpen. And I have a feeling we're going to see some of those guys this year. Uh, you know, who knows what sort of success they'll have, but at least they'll have, they'll have some options to bring up and down and that seems to be part of the modern game, too, where you, you know, you're stashing guys in the minors for a brief stay or sending them down after they've been overtaxed in the, in the majors. You know, they're, they're exhausted and you need a fresh arm for that day mm-hmm. or maybe the weekend. And I think we might see a lot of that from the from the Mets this uh, this season. Yeah, manipulating that ten day disabled list. The Dodgers did a, a great job of that last year, and I think the Mets may have taken some notes on that as we uh, chat with Anthony McCarron of SNY right now. Uh, how about Kevin Ploiecki? He's had a nice spring and a home run today. I think that he's going to see the majority of the playing time behind the plate. I, I think he's ultimately going to be the, the guy back there. How do you look at this catching spot for the Mets, especially now that Jonathan Lucroy is off the board? So, you know, we can pretty fairly say it's going to be Darno and Ploiecki in some combination to start this year. Well, that, that's a great point that Lucroy is gone because now I think the Mets fan can finally move on, or a certain segment of Mets fans can move on from the idea that. You know, they better get Luke Croy. They've got to get Luke Croy and get these other two guys out of there. These two guys were going to be the catchers. And I think Sandy made that pretty clear uh, throughout uh, the offseason. And 
you know, this is their chance to to do something with it. Now, we, you know, we, we both know that they performed pretty well at the end of the year last year. I mean, at least enough to give you an inkling of hope. I mean, Ploiecki certainly has seized spring training and, and has shined a little bit uh, uh, for me. And, you know, I think the Mets always thought that he was going to become a hitter. And, you know, he's it's taken him a little while maybe, but he has worked very diligently on his uh, on his swing. And I think that he's made some some moves toward that. And so, you know, who knows if he's getting he's going to start siphoning away the playing time from Travis Darno. It would be fascinating to see that happen and probably a good thing for the Mets, too, if it means the guy is excelling that much. Um, you know, I, I spoke to to uh, Ploiecki over the winter, um, you know, about the idea that people were, you know, selling the Mets catching tandem short. And he, got, he was pretty fired up about it. You know, and he, he kind of said that he made that mad, but that made him mad. And, and maybe he's using that whole thing as, you know, why don't they get Lucroy? Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that with the catchers? Maybe he's taken some of that into his game and, and using it to uh, fire himself up a little bit. And fire up Syndergaard yesterday. Syndergaard said he, he, he kicked him in the butt to, to get him going and, you know, strike out seven in a row after that. But that's something that, you know, we've never really heard that part of Darno's personality, right? You ever hear a pitcher say, well, you know, Travis really locked me in when he came out to the mound. That's something I thought was unique that Syndergaard said uh, about Ploiecki, even if, you know, Ploiecki did downplay it, uh, you know, afterwards. Right, right. But you do like to hear that, especially because, you know, if you if you look at major league resumes and, you know, you don't, you know, baseball obviously is a game that's built on, like, what have you done in your career you know, respect and all that sort of stuff. And so maybe you look at that and, and say like, wow, what's the guy who's had trouble staying in the majors and hasn't really, you know, seized a spot uh, and established himself. And look at the way he's talking to the guy who, you know, with another full year under his belt of, of stardom could be the best pitcher in baseball mm-hmm. or certainly one of them. And, you know, he's handling him that way. And that's a great sign, I think, for the Mets and, and shows you what kind of catcher that lucky can be and what kind of firm hand. And, you know, Who's to say the Met pitchers couldn't use a firm hand from a catcher nowadays? No, I, they they need that, uh, especially with you know get coaching through all, all these pitchers uh, through a, a long season. Something that not too many of them have been able to work their way through uh, to this point in their career. And, and finally, here, uh, Anthony, I want to. Um, I was going to ask you. All right. Well, you know, as far as the free agency goes, we've seen you know, a number of guys you know get signed the last couple of days, but it's taken forever this off season. Do you look at this as like as a wonky off season? Some weird things happen. Teams didn't spend that much money, or do you see stuff as broken to a degree right now between the the players and and the owners and and getting these guys on the field? Neil Walker is still a free agent. Yeah, it's astonishing because Neil Walker is an excellent baseball player. I mean, I wouldn't you know. He's not, you know, in the top 10 or anything like that, but he's a very good player, should be signed by now. Someone should give him a contract and he will, he will provide results for them. Um, and it is, it is amazing. You know, I think a lot of things have gone on this winter to, to come up to, to where we're at right now, where a Mike Moustakis gets six and a half million dollars guaranteed. And, you know, I think that, that I don't know if, if players and their agents were slow to recognize that teams were going to stop valuing players for, what they've done in the past, um, you know, oh, this guy's got a great back of a baseball card. He gets contract X. And I don't know if the agents were telling their, you know, their clients that, oh, yeah, you know, you did this, this and this. And the last time a guy did this, this and this, he got this many millions of dollars. So mm-hmm. you're going to get even more than that. And, and at, that's at the wrong time because the teams 
have clearly decided, and there is a little bit of groupthink, I think, here yes. um, with them, with the analytics and the way they're evaluating players have become more and more similar. Uh, you know, they've decided that they're not, you know, the difference between the guy who's got, you know, seven or eight really good years in the majors at age 31 versus the 24-year-old or 23-year-old that you think could be a good player in a couple of years, the difference between them this next season between those two players is not great enough to pay the one guy $15 million and the other guy, and and then keep the other guy in the minors. So I think all that kind of stuff has happened. And, you know, the gritty gutty veteran, you know, Oh, he provides leadership. I don't think that's getting paid anymore either. No, it certainly doesn't sound like it. Even, you know, Sandy Alderson, when I've asked him about leadership, he's kind of poo-pooed it, even though he did ultimately bring in Todd Frazier. But uh, I think they brought in Frazier for the numbers, not for, you know, the other stuff that he brings to the table. So it's um, certainly going to change. I agree. That That's a bonus. I think the, yeah. the, the Frazier personality and leadership stuff, whatever that is that he brings, it's unquantifiable, but if it's there, I think that is extra. That's gravy as opposed to the you know third base playing power. And if it's unquantifiable, you're not getting paid for it anymore. Uh, that seems to be the way uh, the game is. Great has way moved. to put it, uh, Anthony McCarron. Uh, we appreciate you coming on as always. Thanks for the insights. Oh, you bet. Thanks uh, for having. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Anthony McCarron, SNY, did a great job over there. Uh, 800-321-0710, the number. We can take some Mets calls here. Also, an NFL laughing stock trying to turn things around in a big way. And it's not the Jets, at least not today. Uh, we'll have that coming up. Uh, again, 800-321-0710. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Uh, Mets are going to make some kind of history this year, uh, we, we found out today. So Major League Baseball and Facebook have come together, and uh, Wednesday afternoon there is going to be one Major League Baseball game every day that will be aired, at least as far as the video goes, exclusively on the social media platform, Facebook. Uh, and this is something that will happen 25 times over the course of the year. And the first team that will take part in that, it will be the Mets and the Phillies on April 4th. Uh, it, it strikes me as bizarre. Now, the NFL has put some games on Twitter, but usually you can watch on Twitter or Yahoo or whatever it might be and also watch it on television as well, especially if it's going to be a local game or certainly when it's a local game. This Mets game, if you want to watch it on April 4th, you have to go to Facebook. It's the only place where it is going to have video. Now, of course, you'll be able to listen to it here on 710WOR. You might want to know it that day, uh, April 4th, which would be the first Wednesday of the season. But uh, as baseball trying to get younger, right? You want to reach people in, in some different areas. Is Facebook the way to go? And if... Is doing it exclusively the way to go. Like, if you're going to air it there, I, I get it. But to do it exclusively now, you got people jumping around on, on that Wednesday trying to figure out, you know, where the heck the game is. And, you know, baseball's a sport. It's with you all 162. If you have the time to, you know, take them all in or watch bits and pieces or listen to bits and pieces of, you know, a lot of games over the course of the year, uh, it's kind of odd to force people to go, you know, to one area. And obviously that's why Facebook pays for it. But, uh, but this does seem to be the trend that now 
you know, TV rights deals, ESPN has put themselves in a lot of trouble with those by overpaying uh, for those TV rights deals. But now there are new competitors in this market as, you know, cable television, right? People keep pulling the plug and you have less people watching cable. And now you have Facebook and Twitter and some of these social media platforms, Yahoo at times, jumping in and they could become, you know, new competition for some of these contracts. Like, could you imagine, let's say something big like March Madness, uh, and that's not expiring anytime soon as far as I know, but if Facebook or Twitter jumped into that and said, hey, we're going to become the exclusive home of March Madness. We're not that far off, I think, from that being the case and everything being online. So, you know, these these sites, the social media sites, and they're going to become a lot more, a, a lot different than, you know, how they are set up right now and become the new, you know, media magnates, it would seem, at, at some point. What's going on, Ray? It's just crazy to think. You know, it, I know it doesn't seem like that long ago. 1995, when you had the baseball network and they regionalized the playoff games. There was no internet back then. You couldn't get other than the game they were giving you for the playoffs. And just think of how we've come. Now you you have all these other platforms where you can get games now. And we're kind of complaining about the fact that, yeah, you would have to go to Facebook, but in the past, you know, these games were blacked out. I remember a time when if you played on the Saturday during the baseball network Mm -hmm. and you were, like, on the West Coast, you didn't get the game here. So you'd have games that you you had blacked out. You couldn't get them. This is kind of that's kind of cool. that's unacceptable now. And now no, I mean you think the only that. reason a game is not accessible to you is really if they're blocking you from it. Yeah. And that that's now you get all the game, or unless you live in L.A. where you have that issue with the L.A. Sports Net, where you still have a large chunk that can't get them. Well, because that's the cable carriers. Yeah, the, cable, the, the cable issue. That's the only, only, yeah. the only issue you have anymore. No, and those things, you know, we've, we've dealt them for a long period of time. But to, you know, black it out, essentially. We're not going to allow this game to go on TV to force everybody to go to Facebook. I don't, I don't love that. And it maybe won't happen often for the Mets this year. But that's that's a pain in the butt. Because that's so drastically different. Let's say you're at work. Maybe you have you're fortunate enough to have a TV that you can have on in the background or something like that. You could do your work on the computer, right, and, and watch the game. You not not able to do that if you, you had the one computer screen and now you're locked into Facebook. Well, just screwing it up. I don't know. I don't like screwing it up. What are you screwing things up for baseball? Better have a good boss key, you know, like they have. But I like uh, looking. It's great, air it on Facebook, but it shouldn't be only there. That would be that would be my point. Um, you know, big day here for the Cleveland Browns. They are jumping into this NFL offseason. They might want to win a game next year. You, you'd think that they were shooting for that. Uh, but how might it affect the Jets? The Browns went out and acquired a quarterback today. The Browns, of course, one of those quarterback needy teams around the league. And does another quarterback needy team emerge now in, in all the maneuvering here? Uh, so we'll, we'll dive into that when we come back. 800-321-0710, the number. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on the Voice of New York, 710 WOR. It's the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on 710 WOR. A big day for the Cleveland Browns. Probably as good a day as the Cleveland Browns have had since they were reinstated. Uh, right? I mean, it hasn't been a whole lot of 
positive moments over the last 15 years or so. But the Browns today, they go out, they traded a couple of picks to the Dolphins for Jarvis Landry. Uh, They have reportedly dealt for Tyrod Taylor, the quarterback from the Buffalo Bills, as well as uh, a cornerback, Demarius Randall, from the Green Bay Packers, and they gave up Deshaun Kaiser, who was their starting quarterback this past year, in that deal with Green Bay. So Cleveland doing a whole makeover, which they so desperately need. And this is something that happens in sports all the time. You have the cleaner come in, uh, the previous administration with the Browns, set them up for success, trade for all the draft picks, uh, open up all the salary cap space, and then those guys are canned before they can actually spend it. So now this new group comes in and get the, get things done. You know, the Browns were winless last year. Uh, they did it quietly. You'd think a, a winless season, it was just, it was, of course, going to happen. So, um, you know, it, it becomes that way, but they've won one game. Over the last two years, so uh, the fans got to be through the moon that now maybe they could win three or four games. No, but the Browns might, they're not going to be a playoff contender, but they're building some things. And they have Miles Garrett, who they drafted number one last year. They have the number one pick this year as well as number four. And with them going after Tyrod Taylor, who's not a great quarterback by any means, but I've always felt he was underrated. I couldn't believe the Bills benched him in that game, and if Nathan Peterman doesn't go out and throw four interceptions in that first half, who knows if Taylor gets back in, but Taylor's a solid quarterback. He's not great. He's not you know, winning your playoff games on the road against a team like Jacksonville, and, and that whole game was awful offensively, uh, but you know, he's a solid NFL quarterback for a team like Cleveland that you know isn't thinking Super Bowl yet. They're not thinking even playoffs. They just want to steady things, to stabilize that organization. Tyrod Taylor is a real nice choice to do that because Deshaun Kaiser, he was awful last year, and I'm sure as a young quarterback and a rookie being thrown into that situation with the Browns is not easy at all. Uh, but so many turnovers in the red zone. So now, you know, Tyrod Taylor could stabilize things. He has a weapon to throw to in Jarvis Landry. They get Josh Gordon back, and you know, they have a couple of things. And then you think about what they could do in the draft. Let's say they take Saquon Barkley number one overall. Boom, you got an offense there. And, and that's something that the Browns can put together in you know a span of a couple of months. So, you know, they're, they're doing some, some things there. Now, you know, what are some of the dominoes that fall here? I think from the Bills' perspective, it's very interesting, and they've never seemed to be in love with um, Tyrod Taylor, but does this cause the Bills to jump in and become one of those teams hunting for a quarterback? I can't see them making, you know, a big play for Kirk Cousins or anything to that degree. Do they like Peterman enough that, He'll be the guy. He showed nothing when we saw him last year, uh, but does that mean you necessarily write him off? And the Bills, they really seem to be high uh, on that kid. So, you know, where do they fall into all of this? Um, you know, the Browns, they were going to be a team hunting for a quarterback. Now they have found their guy. So, you know, they might still, I think they'll still draft a quarterback at one or four. Uh, because they'll still need a quarterback of the future there in Cleveland, uh, but maybe it's not as much of a necessity now. So, you know, this plays out for the Jets a couple of different ways. You know, first of all, their first target is going to be Kirk Cousins.
Cousins. You know the Vikings are going to be the A number one enemy on that. The Denver Broncos could be a factor as well. Cleveland was kind of like the Jets. If you throw enough money at the guy, will he blink? And that was always something that could happen. Now you know it's not. Uh, so I don't think the Cousins situation changes drastically for the Jets here. But how that draft plays out, certainly will and it's interesting for the Giants too because if the Browns were going to take the quarterback first if they felt desperate to make sure that they got one of the guys that they really love there maybe they go quarterback first the Giants get whatever is left over in this case now it would seem more plausible that the Browns could take Barkley the running back number one overall in the draft this year, which would be stunning considering how running backs have been devalued over the years, but Barkley impressed everybody, I think, on the field, off the field at the combine this past week. I heard him, uh, you know, I think he's with Rich Eisen, who's talking about, you know, watching NFL running backs when he was growing up and how much he watched the Jets. His dad was a big Jets fan, and he watched Leon Washington and Curtis Martin and Thomas Jones and, and all their different styles. So, you know, that's something that he's incorporated, and, you know, he seems to be a physical freak based on, you know, the bench pressing and the speed and some of the things he was able to show at the NFL Combine. Uh, so Barkley, I mean, he'd go number one, and then, you know, the Giants get their pick of the litter for a quarterback. And, and I, I still got to think. The Giants quarterback's got to be a number one. That's got to be where they go. It's not often you get an opportunity in a draft class that is this talented. It's a talented draft class to grab your quarterback of the future. And if your starting quarterback's 38 years old and hasn't played at a particularly high level in four or five seasons now, that's when you make a move. And, you know, that's got to be something on the table here for the Giants and really should be. They're a number one maneuver. Even if Barkley is available at two, I don't think you're making a run if you're the Giants with Barkley at running back, another year of Eli, and crossing your fingers that the receivers come back healthy, that you can plug enough of the offensive line, and that your defense, which was terrific two years ago, but stunk last year and had all kinds of issues, is suddenly going to reappear. They have talented players there. But they have guys that have been banged up. They have guys that have been problematic. They have guys that weren't effective last year. So thinking that defense is going to bounce back to being top five in the league, I don't see it. And the Giants, they haven't had an explosive offense in years. I don't think Barkley alone is going to totally change what the Giants are able to do offensively in terms of how many points they're able to put up. I, th- I think he'd be a nice addition. I think he'd help, but you know this Giants offense has been lousy for you know a couple of seasons now. Uh, so, you know, for the Giants and, and the Jets, you know, all you got to keep an eye on everything that's happening here. It's been busy. Uh, you know, you have uh, Sherman, Richard Sherman, cut by the Seattle Seahawks, so he becomes a free agent, wants to go somewhere where he can win. I don't really see him as a fit for either the Jets or the Giants. The Jets could use a corner. Uh, but I I would think after the Jets signed, re-signed Darrell Rivas, you got to be pretty nervous diving back into the free agent pool for an aging cornerback. And Sherman, fantastic at his prime. You could tell he's slowing down a little bit at 29 years old. I, I just wouldn't be in a rush to, to jump back into that. And I, I think Sherman... He 
he takes things personally. We've seen that over the years. He thrives on emotion. He's going to want to go somewhere where he could stick it to Seattle. And the Jets are not the place to stick it to Seattle. He could go, even the Patriots, maybe to some degree would allow him to do that, but I don't see him as a fit there. But I would look for him to go somewhere in that NFC West, somewhere where he could face Seattle twice a year. That's that's what would have him uh, licking his chops for um, you know that that revenge angle that I think they he would just absolutely soak up. So uh, it has been active. You know, whenever quarterbacks start getting uh, moved around in the NFL, it's a big deal. And, and we're less than a week until NFL free agency, and it's an odd free agent class because you actually have a good quarterback that is available, a good starting quarterback that is available in Kirk Cousins. It does not happen very often. The Redskins have mismanaged this for years and that's how it comes to pass. Uh, and, you know, for the uh, for the Jets, you know, they'll be the team taking a run at him. They'll have to decide, hey, 30 plus million dollars, can you build a winner if you're spending that much at the quarterback position for someone who's not in the Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady class, and and probably not within two classes of that. That's you know what you're looking at in, in Kirk Cousins. Uh, so they got to try because I, I think you fear you know draft comes around, you don't end up with one of the guys you would like. Uh, but this is going to to play out very interestingly over the next couple of weeks. And now you know the Browns, how settled are they with Tyrod Taylor? I would think they still draft somebody the Broncos they sign Case Keenum and then say we don't need to draft a quarterback uh, they draft ahead of the Bronco uh, excuse me ahead of the Jets as well and then could a team jump up and, and jump into the top five ahead of the Jets you know the Colts would be willing to move I bet at three if the right offer came along but what team is going to make that jump? You know, the Cardinals are the next real quarterback needy team they're all the way down to 14 that's a huge jump that's going to cost you multiple first rounders to to get up there if you're Arizona. So I think the Jets are relatively safe if Cleveland, the Giants, the Broncos, at least one of those teams doesn't draft a quarterback. And and I look at this as a three quarterback class. Uh, Baker Mayfield, you talk about him all day till you're blue in the face. I am not a believer in Mayfield. He's accurate, but I don't like the size. Uh, I think in the NFL, you got to be durable. You got to be able to play every snap and. You know, when you're that size, it's not just, you know, how tall he is, it's it's how much he's built. You know, Russell Wilson's not a tall quarterback, but the guy's built. And, you know, he could avoid defenders, and he's not taking too many direct hits. When he does, he's able to pick himself up. Mayfield, that worries me. It does, um, you know, size-wise. I had the same concern with Deshaun Watson last year, and I don't know if I was right or wrong on Watson because the dude was so good in the league, but ultimately, you know, did get hurt as it turned out a non-contact play. He tears his uh, ACL. Um, but uh, that's what I look at with Mayfield. I, I like the guys with the size. I like the Josh Allen. I love Sam Darnold. I think that he is the number one guy in this draft. And uh, I'm a big Jets guy. The Jets got Darnold. I mean, I'm all in. I'm I'm pumped if they manage to pull that off. If they take and they end up with Kirk Cousins. I'm not throwing a parade. It'll be okay. They're going to be a playoff contender now. They're going to be in the mix, but I don't see them ever getting over the hump if that's the direction that they decide to go. I think you need to have, you know, the quarterback with the big time possibility, the big time ceiling. I'm greedy. That's fine, but that's what I want to see, you know, the Jets come away with here and I think Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, I think they all 
have that big time ceiling that really gets you excited and could be an absolute franchise changer. And that's what you're looking for. You're playing for Super Bowls, baby. You know, the Browns could play for five wins and, and their fans will throw a parade. I think otherwise, you're looking to have the opportunity to hoist the Lombardi. You're either building towards it or you're in the mix. Uh, and the Jets, you got to build towards it. You sign Kirk Cousins, I don't think you're building towards it. 800-321-0710, the number. Again, 800-321-0710. Uh, we'll dive into the college basketball world and you know what are going to be the big deciding games this weekend, the tough decisions uh, for the NCAA uh, tournament committee and much more. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports bracketologist, will be with us at 8.05. We'll have some Friday night staples for you as well. What's on tap? Get you ready for the weekend. Uh, so a lot to do as we roll until 9 o'clock. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. WOR and WAXQ HD2 New York. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. I don't spend a lot of time watching Jeopardy, but sometimes it's on here in the in the studio when I'm doing the show, glance over a little bit. And if I am locking into Jeopardy, all I'm rooting for when they announce the categories, give me a sports category. This is something that I can handle, that I will know. And it seems anyone that actually tries out and is on Jeopardy has the exact opposite reaction. We played for you a couple of weeks ago. Uh an NFL category where nobody even buzzed in for three minutes, just knew nothing related to football. They could name all the French poetry from 1630 to 1632, but they know nothing about, uh, you know, an NFL player, the, the purple people eaters, which was the big thousand dollar question in that round what's up ray yeah no i had that happen in, in in grammar school you know how the local schools have those cable access shows where they bring you know the kids and the smartest kids and they had a sports category and i remember watching it once none of the like the really smart kids knew anything about sports ridiculous ridiculous but they're probably still mlb general managers now or, well, or, or they're working you know they're, <laughs> they're all like you know pharmaceutical companies making millions and i'm here with you. Oh, they, they're going to jail today with Farmer Bro. So uh, they're exactly. all done. Um, but as far as Jeopardy goes, there's another incident. This is a couple of nights ago now that just, if you love sports, like, what are these people doing? Training baseball in Florida is known as this league. Jack? What is the Bush League? No. Emily Lane? Uh, uh, Bush fruit? League? Come on. Grapefruit League. Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek looked disgusted. I think Alex Trebek likes sports because he looks disgusted when these people have no idea what's going on in the sports categories. Yeah, that one that one a couple weeks ago, he was just, he's like, we need to take a break now because it was that bad. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, does he do the same for if they don't know French poetry? I don't think so. I think, I think Alex Trebek is passionate about sports, and he is dying inside every time one of these categories pops up, one of these questions pops up, and nobody has any idea. And we'll ask, what is the actual, There no, was there ever an actual Bush League? That's a good point. Okay, so we don't know. Saying, now, now I stumped you. Isn't cactus like a plant? So kind of. I guess it could be a bush, a sticker bush, but that's not it, clearly. I got to look that up, see if there was a bush league. Because, you know, know, we always talk about that's bush league. 
Yeah, I just feel like it's an expression, but I'm sure once upon a time there was some minor league that was uh, the Bush League, or maybe it's they didn't have an outfield fence, so they had a bush out there. Maybe that was a you know low profile fields. I- I'm gonna go with that. That would be my best guess, but we'll ask Google. How quickly can you get this, Ray? You gonna have this by the top of the hour break? That's how much time you have. You got one minute, Ray. The pressure is on. Webster says the first time was used in 1902. A very low quality. A very low quality. So it's an expression. Right. Well, so it's just an expression. There you go. Learn something new every single day uh, here uh, here in the sports zone. But hopefully, you know, they stay away from the the Jeopardy uh, for uh, for a little while. Uh, speaking of, of Bush League performances, I guess, uh, Shohei Otani. Remember how much we spoke about Shohei Otani in the fall and, you know, should the, the Mets be in on him? The Yankees be in on him? Everybody should have been in on him. Uh, it has not been a banner spring for Otani. His velocity is down. Only hit about 95 today. Uh, he's pitching against the Tijuana Toros of the Mexican League today and he got hammered. Uh, three wild pitches, six runs allowed and it's been a rough go. For Shohei Otani to start this spring. Now, remember, they found he had the partially torn UCL, the Tommy John ligament. Uh, so maybe he's not a hundred percent, but it, it hasn't quite been magic from Shohei Otani, at least not uh, in the first few weeks of spring training here. All right, coming up in the eight o'clock hour, we'll dive into the bracket, what it might look like on Monday. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports Bracketologist, with us. Does Syracuse have a chance? How about Providence? Uh, many more. Uh, that's coming up right now. A news update.